0: Musical Theater Writer Guy was written and filmed as a YouTube channel series on the traditional and unceded territory of the Muncie Lenape and Canarsie people. Each episode is also released here in podcast form. To learn how you can work with me or to join the Musical Theater Writing Collective, please find out more at michaelraddy.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-R-A-D-I.com. Enjoy the show! The writing and development process can be a real emotional roller coaster and filled with lots of hurry up and wait. And it's frustrating when you know your material is good, some of it even on the verge of being great, and yet you're stuck in the development loop. I mean, how many readings can you do before you give up hope that a production's ever gonna happen? I know this life. I've been here. I mean, with some of my shows, I still am here. But I have eventually made it out of the development loop. It was a long, long road to the first ever full production of The King's Legacy and what a strange, magical, fantastical and frustrating journey it was. Today I'm going to break down that entire journey to production for all of you. I began writing my Anne Boleyn show back in October of 2012, uh, that's what I was calling it back then, and I really dove in head first and I had completed my first full outline within two weeks. But let's call that outline 1.0 because the entire structure of the show would change multiple times from there to production. By December I had a first draft completed of the book with some lyrics written in, and by mid-March I had a completely realized first draft of the show. Book music and lyrics. For anyone keeping track, you're doing your math correctly. A full script and score within the first six months. Not bad, not bad at all. I knew the story pretty darn well at that point, so it kind of tumbled out of me, and it wasn't pretty, but hey, it was a pretty big accomplishment nonetheless. But I think I skipped ahead a little too far here. I didn't answer the first set of questions, which would be, how did this all start? Where did the idea come from, and how long did I have that idea before I actually started writing the piece? In August of 2012, I was sitting poolside with my then-girlfriend's copy of The Other Boleyn Girl, which I had just finished, and I began thinking aloud, concretely. For the second time in my life that Anne Boleyn story is just so good, and it really needs to be musicalized. Not necessarily the other Boleyn girl version, but that's for another day. You see, at that time I had only recently begun my foray into writing musical theater. In fact, a rewritten version of a musical I wrote in college was about to go into rehearsals for the inaugural Rochester Fringe Festival in September. But the idea to write this show had come to me the previous year, while I was watching The Tudors, actually kind of binging The Tudors, and being reminded by Natalie Dormer's Anne Boleyn just how much I had loved this historical story when I first learned of it in high school. But now the idea was back again, and it was haunting me. It's a well-known story with tons of books, movies, TV shows, research, documentaries, but still no well-known musical on the subject. And I thought perhaps, Just perhaps, I might be the person to write that story. And I did not understand why I felt that way at the time, but I just had this thought and this inkling and I wanted to follow it. But because I didn't exactly know why I thought I could do it, it gave me pause. I knew I would need time, opportunity, and motivation to sit down and actually put this thing together and start writing. And a couple of months later, that perfect storm came to be. So, I started to write. Man is made of flesh and bone, the bones of those who came before. Mortal men are easy to extinguish, but you can't ignore a legacy. On May 19th of 2013, I held the first ever closed reading of The King's Legacy, which was a day that just happened to be the 477th anniversary of Anne Boleyn's death. This was a coincidence, I did not plan it that way. I must say that I am so incredibly grateful to have so many wonderful, loving people in my life who came and listened to that first draft and read along. It was a casual reading, I was at the piano and we were just reading through the script, but boy was that useful. Then utterly by chance, when I was working a bartending shift at Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, a story for another day, One of my coworkers overheard me talking about this musical I was writing and said, hey, I have a theater company and we do a reading series. We're looking to do a new musical. You wanna be our July slot? I was like, of course, yes, but also July is soon and I've got a lot of rewrites to do. Nonetheless, in late July of 2013, the Random Access Theater did a workshop reading of The King's Legacy in Manhattan. Now, this is what I officially deemed as the first version of the show and let me tell you, This version of the show was a hot mess. It had great potential and actually some fantastic moments in it, but over the next couple of years, 90% of this version would find its way onto the cutting room floor and eventually almost all of it. One day I'll do a video about the development process of that score and play through some of the stuff that's on the cutting room floor and show you why it's there. Even some of the good stuff, but that's for another day. Even in this initial version of the show, the plot wasn't quite linear. I mean, for the most part, we were still following the main journey after the inciting incident of Henry realizing that he really wants a son and everything that follows after that. But halfway through the show and suddenly, without any warning, it split off into two timelines. No warning! We followed the main storyline with Anne and Henry, but then there's also a faster moving storyline with all of the children. What was I thinking? At this point, Elizabeth was not really even being heralded as the irony of the story, as the true legacy of both Anne and Henry, and also Anne was being painted too much as a villain and a little bit too two-dimensional as well as falling into that seductress trap. These were things I wanted to avoid, but I was falling into those traps and Henry was coming off far more likable than he should have been. And then there were a lot of characters that I would eventually leave off, including Charles Brandon, who was in the original version as kind of a narration character. We just didn't need it. I will say that the pacing of the show moved quite well, and even though the dialogue was a touch melodramatic, at least every scene did indeed have some theatricality and intrigue to it. The score, however, was riddled with structuralist songs and meandering lead- Lyrics, because I hadn't learned anything about song form yet for musical theater at that point. Some of the composition was actually pretty good. In fact, four songs from that original version still exist in the show today. All of them are slightly altered, but they do exist. The experience of these first two readings was so vulnerable, but it was absolutely fantastic. And it showed me what potential there was in the story. With all those possibilities at hand, I was excited to keep writing. excitement of that first summer I didn't have a lot of opportunity to go back to the show in the fall and winter. I did make a few structural changes I wanted to make but for the most part it sat untouched. Well that is until I had been applying to all these theater festivals and one of them got back to me the emerging arts theater festival saying hey we'd like to give you a slot in the festival for March 30th. I looked at the calendar and went oh boy that's seven weeks away. Yikes. Luckily, I had been auditing the BMI Lehman Engel musical workshop that fall, and so I picked up some skills on how to write music efficiently, and it was useful. I immediately got to a calendar and I set up a deadline schedule. I would have two weeks for script edits, three weeks for composing new music, and then two weeks for rehearsal before we do the thing. There's nothing quite like a deadline, right? So on March 30th of 2014, The King's Legacy was presented in the festival with a new narrative structure and a sizably new score. The result was a much cleaner version of the show with new scenes, a protagonist like Anne, and about one third of the score being completely brand new, never been heard before. The new music was met with a lot of positivity and a decent amount of that music actually still exists in today's version in some capacity, but I think I had self-corrected a little bit too much in the other direction, away from the melodrama. If I learned a lot from the first public reading of the show, I learned even more from the second public reading of the show. Elizabeth was now the correct end of the show, the feeling of the legacy, and Anne was beginning to feel more like a protagonist, but definitely was not even close yet. But at least she wasn't a villain anymore. All the queens were included in this version of the show, but the reason for it felt murky. There was a lot of work to be done. And honestly, that pesky narrative structure was the big thing that was giving me trouble. If you look at the development history for The King's Legacy, you will see a period of time that looks quiet between the Emerging Arts Theatre Festival in 2014 and the first industry reading in late 2016. There's nothing listed in between. Seems like nothing happened. Oh, things happened. I came out of my first summer at BVT in 2014 with my writing guns a blazing. I was ready to write and rewrite like a madman. I also got accepted into the BMI workshop as an actual class member this year as a lyricist. And I got to meet so many different wonderful people who kind of sparked my creativity as well. I got really inspired to get back to The King's Legacy, and I started diving in to do some rewrites based on the feedback I had gotten from the Emerging Arts Theatre Festival. And I wrote a completely new draft that I immediately threw away. It was Like, Henry popped out of the pages and was everywhere. It was terrible. I knew I wanted the women of the story front and center, and especially Anne Boleyn. You really needed to feel like the protagonist, but I was having a hard time because Henry is everywhere in this story. He makes so many decisions that affect everybody because he is, well, the king. That was a problem. Still kinda is a problem. I'm working on it. So I tried another new version, and this one was better, but the time jump still felt nebulous. The narrative structure just wasn't there. But on the third try, I found something I liked. And in fact, it was working quite well. I had to put it aside because I was doing another round of acting all summer at BBT, but when I got back to it in the fall of 2015, I sat down and looked at this third version and thought, I was right, this is working well. Now it needs music. The women were now finally becoming prominent in the storytelling and clearly the point of the piece, but that means that much of the music that had been written had to get thrown out. A full two-thirds-ish of the score now needed to be filled in with new material and a new narrative structure and new storytelling. Both exciting and very daunting. The next six months were filled with rewrites and composition. And it was grueling, but it was also exhilarating. And at the end of the six months, I had a version of the script and score that I really liked, that worked, that finally found its narrative structure, and yet... nobody knew. That needed to change. Okay, I liked it. I really liked this version of the show and I needed to give it a test drive. So I gathered some friends together and we did a closed reading in April 2016. And it worked, it really worked. Some minor tweaks were of course still in order based on the reading, but for the most part, I was at a spot where I finally felt like, Yes, this thing needs to be done on its feet in some capacity in order for me to make the major revisions that it would obviously need as it continued forward. With a very large amount of help from my friends and my colleagues and my family, I then went about the process of putting together my first industry reading with Broadway people for late 2016. When that reading finally took place, the response was awesome. It was really, really great. And I felt great about where the piece was. It wasn't done. But this was solid. I had something. A lot of the piece was landing in the ways that I wanted it to and the audience was tapping their toes and emoting. I mean, how much more can you ask for in a reading of that size? Now it was time to clean the show up, get word out there about its existence and find a way to get this thing produced. Please attend, okay. follow, mistress. Anne. We've talked about the submission process for musicals and it can be utterly grinding and heartbreaking and this period of time was no different. Submissions were a daily occurrence with little to show for it, except for silence from the void, cookie-cutter rejection letters that said, we were excited to receive a new record-breaking number of things this year, and the occasional letter that said, we're interested in looking at this, but we can't right now. (laughs) So, uh, partly to keep my own sanity and partly to continue getting the show out there, I decided to contact Feinstein's 54 Below and see if I could do a concert of my music featuring the music of the King's Legacy. Luckily, they loved the idea and they were in. Great. The Songs of Michael Ratty took place in October of 2017 with a cast of Broadway and off-Broadway performers and it went spectacularly. I really could not have asked for it to go any better. Not only did it get people talking about The King's Legacy and some of my other writing as well, but it also gave me video and audio I could use to show The King's Legacy off online whenever people ask me, hey, do you have material? Yes, I do. Rejection, it seems, at the very least, can be a good motivator. When I first nervously and offhandedly mentioned to the artistic directors of Bristol Valley Theater in 2017 that I was interested in having The King's Legacy done there, I thought there was no way it was gonna happen. Like a zero percent chance. I mean, the cast was probably too big, it's a period piece, it doesn't have any name recognition, and the New Works Initiative program had never done a musical before. Musicals are expensive. So it just felt like a nice pipe dream that we could chat about over some drinks at the tavern. I was then pretty surprised when I was told a little while later that they found the idea intriguing and were gonna keep it in the back of their minds for future consideration. Okay, so maybe like a 1% chance. A full year later, I found myself in discussion with them about the show again, talking about the potential feasibility and the requirements of the show. Suddenly, this was a real possibility, an actual option for the New Works Initiative. So. There was at least a glimmer of hope when the fall of 2018 rolled around and it was finally announced publicly that the King's Legacy was going to be happening in the 2019 summer season. I cannot tell you how ecstatic I was. I really did not think we were going to be able to make it happen. Boy, did we get to make it happen. And like, who else would I have been happier to entrust the first production of The King's Legacy to other than the brilliant minds, friends, and artists at my artistic home at Bristol Valley Theater? They began to let me know who my team was gonna be, which is one of the coolest things I've ever experienced as a writer, and then, I had to get to work. The director, Chris J. Hanley, someone who I had already known and loved as a performer and a director, worked with me throughout that fall to get the show ready and in tip-top shape for the production that summer. We made a lot of changes, big ones and small ones, on a pretty tight deadline, so we could get the show ready and set and frozen for a big looming deadline of that summer. Yo, this was exhausting and exhilarating. I loved it. There is no better way to make art than with the people you know, love, and trust. This is the only way we should be making art. I did one final closed reading of the show in the winter of 2019, and when that reading was over, I cannot tell you how elated I was. The show was frozen. It was ready. I was handing it over to be done that summer. You know, it's really easy to look at my singular name on the libretto and think that I did it all myself, but it really could not be further from the truth. Without my friends, collaborators, the opportunities, and these developmental steps, there is no way that I ever would have found myself on the path to a first production. And for that premiere, we had a great team, a phenomenal cast, a fantastic theater, a wonderful community, and the response we had was phenomenal. Like, the show is not done, but it's good. Production is great but there's still more work to be done and I am so excited to do that work and if you're interested in hearing the score of the show as it currently stands before the next major round of rewrites you can watch this video next otherwise thank you all for being here with me today and I'll see you again soon cheers <laughs>